This morning's scripture comes from Romans chapter 7, beginning at verse 14. Romans 7, verse 14. Hear the word of the Lord. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, and the evil I do not want to do, I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who would rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray, shall we? God, thank you for the scripture. Thank you for speaking to us by your spirit. Thank you that it's your desire to make known to us the words of Jesus and your will and your purpose for us and for the world. So we open ourselves to you and pray that you would do just that by the power and strength of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, we're uh, continuing today our sermon series in the book of Romans called Unashamed of the Gospel, and it's a series that we kicked off actually last fall. We did the first four uh, chapters of the letter, and then this fall we're working our way through the next four, chapters five through eight. And as you've already heard, we're looking at the second half of Romans seven today. Um, Just to kind of set the stage for that, the first half of Romans 7 dealt with the place of God's law uh, for a Christian, a person who's a follower of Jesus. How does God's law apply to the Christian? And people back in Paul's day, some people back in Paul's day, were making one of a couple different mistakes. And in last week's message, I described those as the ditches on either side of the path of following Jesus. 
The ditch on one side was the error of legalism, you know, taking God's law and making a, a religious checklist of to-dos and checking them off carefully and faithfully and believing that once you checked them all off, you were good and that that was your duty to God. Uh, it, it doesn't really work that way. That's, that's the error of legalism. The ditch on the other side of the road I called the error of license, meaning this kind of sense of freedom that would allow for irresponsible behavior. Uh, the, the 25-cent theological word that describes the people in that camp is called um, antinomian. They were antinomians. The Greek word for law is namas. So an antinomian would be a person who stood opposed to the law or against the law. They had abandoned it. So legalism and license, the ditches on either side of the road. But the way Christians use God's law is, is in this way. We understand God's law to convict us of our sin. We understand it to restrain evil in the present time until God's kingdom has fully come. And we look at God's law as a guide for holy living, a, a description of the kingdom kind of life that's possible through our faith in Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. So after, after Paul explained all of that stuff in the first half of chapter 7, he goes on with the verses we read today. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and tell you what I think. And that is that I believe these to be the most important verses of the Bible for helping Christians square their faith in Jesus with their actual experience in life. I think it's the most important passage in the Bible. This is just my opinion. I go to this passage all the time. And I find great comfort here, great reassurance here, even in full view of all of my own personal failings. So Paul, Paul begins with uh, verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Now in the first half of chapter 7, Paul just got done saying that the law isn't bad. It's, it's not sinful, nor does it become death to people. But here he says, we know that the law is spiritual. It's not just that God's law is not bad. The law is spiritual, meaning it came from the Holy Spirit. It has divine authority. The law is spiritual and good. But, Paul writes, I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. You know, this line in verse 14 has caused some interpreters to conclude that Paul really wasn't talking about himself here. That when he used I but I am unspiritual. He was taking on the persona of someone in a different spiritual position than he was. Most people in this camp th think that Paul was taking on the persona of an Old Testament believer, someone who knew God's law but didn't yet know Jesus and the freedom that he gives. And their argument goes like this. Uh, since Paul was a Christian, he wasn't unspiritual. In fact, he was spiritual. And back in chapter 6 of Romans, Paul just made the point that we've been freed from slavery to sin. We're no, we're no longer in bondage to it. Therefore, Paul can't possibly be writing about himself here because he's filled with the Spirit and thus not unspiritual. And because he's free in Christ, as he so clearly describes in Galatians, he's no longer a slave to sin. So he couldn't possibly be writing about himself. He must be writing about someone else. Now, I think that interpretation misses the boat completely. I take Paul to be writing autobiographically here and I think what's going on is that we're catching a moment of stark vulnerability. That he's sharing with us an intimate look at his internal struggle as a follower of Jesus. 
and, and specifically what Paul is describing is his struggle with the process of sanctification. Now, if you're a fifth regular, you've heard me talk about the tenses of salvation, the verb tenses of salvation, past, present, and future. I believe this to be a very, very important thing for every Christian to understand. I, I worked up this chart a, a couple years ago. Take a look at it. You can see the categories, the tenses of salvation, past tense, present tense, future tense. The Bible can say we have been saved. It can say we are being saved. And it, it can say we will be or we shall be saved. And there are some example texts there that you can look up on your own. But the theological concepts involved, past tense of salvation, justification, present tense of salvation, sanctification, future tense, glorification. In, in, in justification, we're rescued from the penalty of sin. In sanctification, we are being rescued from the power of sin. And in the future, there's the promise that we will be someday rescued from the very presence of sin. Now, what Paul is saying here in, in, the, in these verses is not that he's unspiritual overall, not that he's a slave to sin overall, but that he often feels that way in the present process of being saved from the power of sin. And, and he goes on to unpack that. Look, look at what he wrote in verses 15 and 16. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Now let's, let's leave this slide on the screen for a moment. I want to kind of unpack this phrase by phrase. Look, look at the first sentence. I do not understand what I do. Meaning... I don't understand why I do what I do. Paul is saying he's recognized a gap in himself between his faith in Jesus and how he finds himself behaving at times. And he elaborates on that. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Meaning, the good I know I should do, I don't always do. Instead, I find myself doing stuff that's wrong. And more than that, I find myself doing it even though I know it's wrong. And this is what the Bible refers to as willful sin. You know it's wrong, but you do it anyway. Paul is saying that he has experienced that, that he does experience that. And, and then the last sentence. It, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Meaning, when I commit willful sin, doing something I know to be wrong, I affirm that God's law is good because it's God's law that made me aware that my actions are wrong. You can see that in that verse, can't you? It, it's powerful. Now, now, how about the personal application? Does, does this sound at all familiar to you? You ever found yourself in that predicament where there's a disconnect between your faith in Jesus and the way you find yourself behaving? Of course you have. If you're a Christian actually trying to follow Jesus and you're awake, you've experienced this. You've experienced this tension. It might very well be the greatest tension that you're experiencing in life. Maybe you wonder if anybody else has this struggle. Maybe you wonder if God's getting tired of it and might give up on you. 
maybe you wonder why it seems like everybody else has it figured out. And you wonder why you can't seem to get it figured out. Well, rest assured, you are not alone. Every Christian person everywhere has this struggle. We all struggle with the power of sin in this life. And all the wondering that's going on in your mind, all this thinking, it's, it's all representative of the battle going on right now, the spiritual struggle. It's not a battle of the heart, by the way. That battle was won when you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. This is a battle of the mind. It's a battle with the power of sin in the present and thus it is an issue of sanctification, the present tense of salvation. It doesn't have to do with whether or not we are in a right relationship with God. That's the past tense of salvation, justification. And if you're a Christian, that's accomplished. That's done. It can never be changed because by God's grace, through faith in Jesus, God has credited to you a right relationship with him. It's yours forever. But what we're talking about here is much like Joshua and the Israelites when they entered the Holy Land. You remember the story. God had already given them the land. It was theirs. But they had to fight to occupy it. There were fortified cities. They had to take possession of the land. And to do that, they had to overcome those strongholds, those physical strongholds in their day of the fortified cities. They had to enter the land physically. We have to enter the land spiritually. And and Paul references those spiritual strongholds as he explains his own experience. Look at verse 17, excuse me. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Now, the first time I read this, I thought, wait, is he really making the devil made me do it argument here? Is this this an excuse? Is he trying to, you know, shirk responsibility here? That's not what Paul's trying to do here at all. What, What Paul is doing is simply acknowledging the reality, even though he trusts Jesus, even though he's been filled with the Holy Spirit, he's acknowledging the reality that sin still has power and influence in his life in the present. He's acknowledging the battle of the mind and admitting that there are still strongholds in his life. Now, I hope you're tracking with me here because it's, it's teeing up an incredibly important realization for every Christian person. And here it is. Becoming a Christian does not mean you're done wrestling with sin. And when my wife Crystal and I were engaged, we read a book called Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts. And it was such a good book that I recommend it to every couple whom I marry in in the premarital process leading up to the wedding. Uh, one, One chapter in particular is worth the price of the book. It talks about unspoken expectations in relationships like that. You know, the stuff that we think everybody else should know and abide by, but we never actually tell it to them. (laughs) This comes up all the time. Uh, if we're paying attention in our relationships. These verses that we're looking at today in Romans help clarify what we should expect Christian life to be like and to feel like. We should not expect an instant rescue from our struggle with the power of sin in our lives and in the world. We should not expect a quick fix to our natural draw towards sin. 
we should not expect perfect all the time resonance between our faith and how we find ourselves behaving in life. It's not an excuse for bad behavior. There's just going to be tension because we're works in, in process. See, when you become a Christian, you are ushered into a spiritual battle of which you were previously unaware. Therefore, we should expect spiritual struggle. I mean, to achieve breakthrough, to overcome strongholds, takes a fight, spiritually speaking now. We should expect to feel wretched at times because of the disconnect between our faith and behavior. Paul clarifies all of this for us in verses 21 through 24. Look at these. So I find this law at work, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? This is exactly what Paul is saying. There's a spiritual battle in the mind between what he knows to be right and the power of sin not yet eradicated from his life. And his conclusion about himself, what a wretched man I am. Who will save me? You know, I'm a train wreck. Who will fix me? And he says this, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, through, through all of this, Paul was not doubting God's love for him. Because you know, that's the angle the enemy always takes in the battle of the mind. I hope that you know that. The enemy will try a thousand different ways to accomplish a single goal. To get you, to get me, to think and maybe even believe, maybe God doesn't love me. Which as you know, is the lie he offered up to Adam and Eve in the garden, the original lie that led to original sin. No matter how that lie enters your mind, no matter what form it takes, no matter what disguise it's wearing, don't buy it. It's a lie. And the cross of Christ proves it's a lie. Paul ends with a simple conclusion that clarifies what we should expect of our lives too. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. This is the reality of life for all followers of Jesus. This is what we should expect as followers of Jesus. Not an absence of spiritual tension, but an all-out battle going on right here. I mean, this is the new struggle we have in Christ. Now, this coming Tuesday, I'll conduct Erwin Parker's memorial service. And at a Christian funeral, we often hear the words at some point in the service, may, may they rest in peace. It's really important for Christians to understand 
what that actually means. It, it does not mean may these bodily remains or ashes rest peacefully in this cemetery. What, what it means is may you, follower of Jesus who has now died to this life, may you rest from the struggle with the power of sin. May you rest from this battle in life, this spiritual tension, the disconnect between our faith and and our behavior. May you rest in peace. No more fight. No more tension. No more feeling like a wretch because the promise of God in the future tense of salvation is that we will be saved from sin's very presence. And oh, what a day that will be. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me. God, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you that by your grace and through faith in Jesus, you have saved us. You are saving us and you will save us. Help us, God, by your spirit to cooperate with you fully in the struggle with sin in the present. We open ourselves to you and we ask you to pour out your spirit in us and to bring to us trusted sisters and brothers who can walk with us and help us that we might pray for one another so we can be healed. Thank you, Jesus. We love you and we pray in your name. Amen.